so in that, um, I want to read our scripture for this series. Uh, again, uh, I hope that this resonates in you for the rest of your life to understand uh, what God's core promises are to you. Exodus 6, 6-7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. Look, right there, I want you to just scribble on your notes right there and write this down. God does his best in our life in a group of people. He does our best in, the best in our life in a community. He's not saying uh, my people. He's, he's not saying that singular. He's saying it plural. He calls us out together. The ecclesia. Say ecclesia. That is the called out ones. That's what that word means. The called out ones are the church. When we gather in community, we come together in community, all we're doing is we're coming together to honor and worship and love our Savior together as a community, as a people. And that's what God is saying here, that I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God that, uh, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He says that in there twice. Now understand, our Egypt is the world. And what God does is he takes up us out from the world. He says this, uh, we are translated, when we come to Christ, we come to salvation, we're translated out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's this taking us out of this place and into this place. God uh, says we're in this world, so when we're born again, we're in the world, but we're no longer of the world. Before we were born again, we were of the world. It didn't bother us to go the way of the world, but once we are born again and we begin to read the word and we begin to understand that God's ways, they're higher than our ways, right? And, and that they're uh, better and, and they're, they're mightier than our ways. And when we begin to understand that, what happens is, is it's like aligning myself to the kingdom of God causes me not to fit into the world so easy. It feels a little bit uncomfortable. Anybody? And if you feel real comfortable with the ways of the world, you might want to question how comfortable you are with God. Come on now. Yeah, that's why, anybody ever hear the term, you know, preacher, you're stepping on my toes? Right? That basically, or, or uh, preacher, you're preaching so hard that I feel like the flames of hell are starting to come up and burn my feet. Anybody ever heard that statement before about preachers? You know, those things start being preached where we start to feel a little uncomfortable. It's because maybe there's a little bit of the world in us and it just does not match up with the kingdom of heaven. Amen? You know, I was trying to be a little bit humorous there. So I've given you over, over the last four weeks, I've given you, and Jeremiah, of course, preaching uh, one of those messages in the series, the cup of deliverance. But I've given you four things and I'm going to go through them real quick and then we're going to kind of go back over them. So the cup of sanctification... It'll be on, there, on your notes there, the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. We're going to talk about the cup of praise today, but I want to recap a little bit, and I'm going to give you some different fill-in-the-blanks. When we talked about the cup of sanctification, we talked about the fact that that's salvation. The cup of deliverance, we talked about the fact that that's freedom. The cup of redemption, that it's restoration. The cup of praise, that it's fulfillment. Now today, in that, in that blank next to each cup, I'm going to give you something else to fill in in those blanks. First off, it's going to be the cup of sanctification, our weekend services or the times we gather together in corporate services. I'm going to share this with you. We don't want Sunday to be for church people alone. 
We, want, we don't want the youth services or the children's church, the children's ministry that's going on back there on a Sunday. We don't want that to be for church people alone. We want it to be for people who have never drank from the cup of sanctification. They have never experienced salvation. Uh, look, uh, uh, all I know is, is that uh, the psalmist says this, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Look, we need to keep drinking from the cup of salvation. So there's a joy about our salvation. There's an exuberance that we want to share about how Jesus saved us, how he brought us out and in. Remember, he took him out of Egypt and he's taken him to a land of promise. Jesus has taken us out of the world and he's taken us to a place of promise. Amen. So we don't want the weekend services just to be that. That is why uh, when, when we come to a Sunday morning, uh, and I just want to say, worship team, you did an amazing job today. You guys work so hard. You know, building chemistry is often, you know, how, how many of you know we all have uh, style and, and, and things that we do, and, and it's kind of like being able to yield to one another and flow, and they work really hard, and, and, I, and I've seen them feel frustrated sometimes that they just can't quite get it to click, uh, but today I would say that there was just a, a gelling that took place. Now, next week when you come in, you know, it may not be gelling as well as it did this week. But they're using their gift. They're not sitting back and I hope somebody else does it. And I would say every person in here, here's what I would say right now. If you've been saved longer than 20 years, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Just, you know, here's the deal. I've been saved longer than 20 years. You've been, okay, you can put, keep your hands up. If you've been saved longer than 10 years, raise your hand. Longer than five years, raise your hand. Longer than a year, raise your hand. If you're not saved, raise your hand. <laughs> That's to make those that haven't given their life to Christ maybe feel more comfortable. Point being is, is that most of you in here are already born again. You come out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're on, the, you're, you're on your way to the land of promise. The question is, or what are you doing to use your gifts to serve? When you come in here on a Sunday morning, are you being served or are you serving? Yes, we all need to hear the word. Yes, we all need to enjoy the community and enjoy the provision that's in it. The Bible uses, or, or, or in, the, in the original language, this is the term, koinonia. Say koinonia. Koinonia basically is a biblical term for community, but it's much more than that. What it means is it means that I come and I receive, but I don't just come to receive, I come to give. And a church community that is both receiving and giving is a healthy church community. But if a church community, when I, when I talked last week about 87% of the body of Christ never discover their gifts and use them in the church community and in expression to the greater community that they might experience Christ. 87%. Now, I don't think that our body is at 87%. But I'll tell you this, there's a rule that goes around that says this, 20% tend to serve the 80%. I'm going, I'm going to challenge you today. Where are you serving at Gateway Church? Are you serving in some capacity? I don't care if it's making coffee. I don't care if it's greeting at the door, taking care of the children, being on the platform and helping to, to lead worship. Uh, back in sound, <laughs> Jonathan, why don't you come up here real quick? He didn't know I was going to do this, but I'm going to do it. Nathan, why don't you come up here? Can you come up here? If there's feedback, just jump in there, Zach, and shut it all down. 
Jonathan, how old were you when you started doing this? 14, 15? Uh, Nathan, how many years have you been doing sound for Gateway Church? You've lost count? You say that with both, both grief and enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, you know, the next hardest job at, at Gateway Church, I think, is the, is the sound. <laughs> Something goes wrong, man. You, you ought to see the heads that turn back here and look. <laughs> yeah, Nathan has many times just slid under the counter, you know. But to, here's the thing. This is the way the kings are supposed to be. Nathan is used, in, in what it comes down to, Nathan's gifts tend to function in, in that of hospitality, a heart of servanthood. We all should be servants, but Nathan, look, he's running around here putting things together, getting things out for the worship team, puts my mic together, throws a 9-volt battery in it. You know, uh, when, when I put it on, Nathan comes back here and clips it on and adjusts it, and it's like, you know, he looks at it and he goes, no, nah, I need to adjust that again. But he does that almost every Sunday. And then comes a young man that, that basically, okay, well, I don't play an instrument and I don't sing and, and I don't do this, but I kind of like some of this tech stuff. And, and so he jumps back there. How much did you know before you started? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but how much does he know now, Nathan? I'll let you answer that. A lot. And, and you would say that he's in competition now, right? But you don't mind because now you can come out here and set sometimes. Thank you, guys. I could do that with every department, and in a few minutes, you'll, you'll see the fullness of what's going on with what I just did. Last year, last year, more than 100 people, <laughs> sorry. I love nothing more than seeing people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I love to be with the saints and worship, and I love to study the scriptures and interact with that. But what I know is, is I'm going to learn in heaven. I'm going to worship in heaven. I'm going to get to eat in heaven. Do you know that? I'm going to get to do all the things that we do here pretty much. I'm going to get to do in heaven. The one thing I don't get to do in heaven is I'll never be able to help one more person come to know Christ. There won't be anybody else that gets to have a place at the table with Jesus when it's all over. So it's important for me to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. We are doing what we're doing as a church. We don't just gather. It's not a club. We have purpose in what we're doing. And there, hey, 7 out of 10, don't go to church, don't have any uh, kind of consistency of anything concerning a relationship with Jesus Christ. 7 out of 10. You and I make up the 3 out of 10. There are more on their way to hell than there are on their way to heaven in Colorado Springs. Does it grip your heart that there are people that are on a crash course and that their destiny is a screeching halt with eternal damnation and that we have the power to change that? Our Savior gave us the power to change that. That's why he commissioned us and then said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We need more people to drink from the cup of salvation. Over 100 people last year drank from the first cup, the first time in their life. Uh, from our services to our youth camps to our children's ministry, J12, so many. We're, we're going to have a bunch more like children and J12ers next week up here getting baptized. 
And, and then you take the church campuses and all the people that got saved last year and Gateway Church, you know, and, and our influence was 100 people. That's nothing to, you know, to be ashamed of, is it? And do you know that oh, oh, thousands last year, the missions that we give to, we give portions, but there are other people that give into those missions that are going on around the world and that thousands of people came to know Christ and drank from that first cup and we were a part of that because we were connected to it. Right now, I know Wayne Goodrich, uh, who, is, who is over our, our missions. Wayne's in China right now training leaders, you know, uh, with regard to sharing the gospel in China. We are a part of that because you gave to help send Wayne there. We're a part of that. Whatever that harvest is that he's getting over there right now, uh, we, we are part of that harvest that's coming in. We're a part of helping people drink from that first cup. Next one, cup of deliverance. Freedom, look, so our weekend services, when we, when we have these things, when we gather together as believers, very important. Um, the cup of deliverance. Uh, so uh, freedom, if you will, small groups. Small groups. We don't have enough small groups here at Gateway Church. We don't have enough leaders, but I know there's leadership sitting out there in the chairs, and I want to challenge you. Step up and lead a life group. If you've got five or six friends or two or three friends, you know what? Lead something where you can do life together because here's the deal with that. Uh, this is where people ask, where am I going to get discipled? How am I going to go deeper in the things of God? Um, how am I going to work through some of my issues? You're, you know what? You know where you do that the best? You don't do that the best coming and sitting with me and getting some pastoral counseling from me. You know what? Uh, 90% of the pastoral counseling that I do, 90% of it, uh, uh, the conclusion that I make is that this person doesn't have friends to do life with. And that they've never been discipled. Anybody in here believe that I can disciple every single person that comes to Gateway Church? It is impossible for me to have that kind of time. But it's not impossible for all of us to have that kind of time to disciple the people that God would bring our way. Can you say amen? It's not impossible for us. As a community, it's not impossible for us to meet one another's needs. But it is impossible for one person to meet everybody's needs. Can you say amen? So it's vital for us to know and to be uh, involved. Here's what I would say. I remember years ago, uh, Ken and Geb, Debbie's group, um, you, would, uh, you guys would give Christmas time. You would, you would get money together. And what was that program called where you'd get presents or something for kids? Is that right? Child Christmas or something? You don't remember doing that? I remember you doing it. <laughs> so you don't remember doing that? Not the program, what it was, yes. Um, but I remember them saying, hey, we want to do this. I'm like, you don't have to ask me to do that, <laughs> you know? You're, you're a small group of believers that want to do something to make an impact on people's lives. You don't need my permission. If I stand in that position of saying, hey, you need my permission to do anything in ministry, uh, what? So I, I have greater say than Jesus? All I know is he gave every one of us a great commission, he, he said go, he didn't say stay. And what I would challenge you to do is go. Use your giftings. Make an impact on people's lives, amen? Um, so, so that next one, the cup of redemption, restoration, which I talked about last week. Um, next steps. That's why we have a simple process to try and help people discover their gifts, your personality, your makeup, 
you know, how you're wired and, and what's some next steps that you can take here at Gateway Church. And so we have a simple process to help you do that. Look, it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. All of a sudden you go through next steps and, and you're set for life as a Christian and you know everything you got to do. Say amen. All it's meant to do is help you connect to how you can use your gifts uh, as a part of Gateway Church community. And, and then also, uh, if you need us, how we can serve you to be out in the greater community and use your gifts. Oftentimes you're out there and you meet somebody and they've got things going on in their life and it's bigger than you can handle. Uh, and that's where you're being the good Samaritan. You help them out a little bit, but you're like, hey, why don't you come to church with me? <laughs> and, uh, you know, because uh, I can't handle all this stuff going on in your life. And it'd be good if you, our pastor preached about this last week, you know, and they come in and I've seen it where they come in. And look, I, I'd go back to this and I'd say times where I've seen that happen, where somebody's invited and things are going on in their life and. And, and they're in that struggle. They're trying to find freedom, you know. Uh, they're trying to find freedom, and what they need to do is drink from that first cup of salvation. And then in that struggle where they're battling the things that they need to overcome, Christ will give them strength, but then that place of finding purpose. So, so where you're in your purpose, what happens is you'll find people that need to drink from the cup of salvation and who need to deal with the issues. And if you can help get them to a place where that happens, I've seen them when they come, and they sit here, and as I hear the message of life, as the Bible uh, declares it, that God's word is the word of life. And that as it speaks into their life, I've seen them in the midst of the message, in the midst of worship, as tears stream down their cheek because it's the first time they've ever experienced words that stir them to the place of believing that there's hope for their situation. And I want you to know in a sense, you're the front line. How many people do you encounter in a week's time that is going through hell and need to find heaven? Amen? And then finally, today, the cup of praise, the cup of fulfillment. And let me say this here at Gateway, uh, that's our dream team. I talked about it at the beginning of the year a little bit, our dream team. The reason this is so important is that your gift brings about change not only in your lives, but in the lives of others. We have different giftings, and in many ways, we are limited by ourselves. but together, God and his people experience fulfillment. So, so where, where I start, someone else ended. And where I end in my gifting, someone else is going to take it from there. The Bible says we all have uh, gifts, differing you know, some, you know, uh, you know, apostles, some prophets, some teachers, you know, helps, governments, administration. And you know, as I'm talking about them back there running the sound, you see the administrating of the service in, in, in regard and helps that are taking place. Because without those helps, I don't care how much these guys practice or how good they could be. How many of you know if the sound isn't run right? If you don't turn the sound on, they may be up here strumming the instruments. You're like, what the world's going on? It'd be a complete distraction, isn't that right? So all the parts working together, it creates a much better experience. All of us working in our spiritual gifts creates a much better experience for society to encounter God and come out of the world and into the things of God. Amen? So I want to make this statement to you, what I just shared by bringing both those young men up here, and that is it takes champions and game changers to build a dream team. 
champions and game changers. Let me say this. Nathan, how many years did we say? At least, like, what, 15 years? Like 15 years? So Nathan's championed that. And you got a, another young man that has interest. He steps up in there, and it, look, he does, you don't have to be young to do something. Come on now, somebody. Come on, old people. Join me here. I'm old on this platform. And you got a young man that, that avails. <laughs> oh, for those of you who don't know, Miss Bev was the secretary for how many years here at Gateway Church? 24 years. She started here when she was young. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm all messed up now, Bev. <laughs> And we're a family, it's okay. Um, oh, champions and game changers. So what you, <laughs> what you have is you have somebody that's championed that, and then you have another person step up, and, and what he does is he changes the game. The reason why he changes the game is because now it's not the weight on one, but now two are carrying that load. How many two are better than one because they have a greater return for their work? Imagine every area of Gateway Church and, and I'll say this, I'll say Jonathan in that sense, he's been left alone back there with the soundboard many times. And, and a big reason why he's been left alone is because he's dedicated himself enough to that to understand it well enough that he can be left alone. That's when the game changer begins to move from just being a game changer to being a champion. What happens when you get two champions and then you get some other game changers stepping up? Are you really redefining it then? See, we call that exponential growth. And if there's, if, if there's exponential growth of leadership here at Gateway Church, then there'll be exponential growth of people drinking the first and second cup. And there'll be people who know how to move them into that third cup where they start to drink of purpose. They start to find their own gifts and callings and use their own gifts and callings. And, and then what happens? The dream team just grows and more lives are transformed and changed. So... God always, write this down, God always planned for you to live a life of fulfillment. Many people settle for not having problems or just a, a little bit easier. I, I was going to read it again. God always planned for you to have, or excuse me, to live a life of fulfillment. Many people settle for not having problems or just an easier path. In other words, we're talking about fulfillment here. Instead of for salvation and struggling with your, your challenges and problems and issues, and that's as far as I can get. No, find your purpose and fulfill it. And what you'll discover is that God, remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and the rest is going to be added to you. When you're in your purpose and you're serving the kingdom of God, what happens is, is God starts taking care of everything else. Like, don't be, don't be concerned about the world. Just focus on your mission. Isn't that what he said to his disciples? Don't take any concern of what you're going to wear. Don't take any money with you. Don't take any concern for this. And go and you preach the gospel. And if they don't receive you, dust your feet off and move on. That's some serious you know, things for us. Because we don't want to leave sometimes those friends that, that actually keep us from fulfilling the purpose of God. And we get focused on things of this world uh, because they're not interested in the things of God. But we've got to know how to sometimes dust off and find that next person so that they can be invited in. Amen. So let me go back and say that again. God always planned for you to live a life of fulfillment. Many people settle 
for not having problems or just a little easier path. And this is what I would say to you. Don't settle, seize upon the promise of God. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob? Esau, he's out hunting. He comes back. He's hungry. And Jacob had just prepared this pot of stew. He had a, a nice young lamb that he had cut up and thrown in a stew and cooked up. I mean, it was just, it's kind of like, just imagine in your mind, like, you're starving, and, and here's the best stew you've ever smelled in your life, and he's just wanting to taste that stew. See, Esau, the Bible says this, that God said, Esau have I hated, and Jacob, Israel, have I loved. Jacob's name meant sneaky surplanter. Jacob wasn't a good, he was, he was a bad boy. But he wrestled with God, and God ended up finally changing his name. But it doesn't change the fact that what God said is, Esau have I hated, and Jacob have I loved. Why was that? Because Esau settled. Esau settled for what this world could offer. He settled for, for this, just this pot of porridge and gave up, because this is what Jacob said, it's my stew. If you want some stew, I want your birthright, the spiritual birthright of the firstborn and what he does is he says I'll give you a stew but you got to give me your birthright and Esau is fine with me you can have my birthright and he eats his stew he settles for just dealing with his temporary problem and gives up what God meant him to permanently have his blessing a better life and so sure enough Jacob ends up with the blessing right the reason why God loved Jacob is because he desired the blessing. Esau actually despised his blessing. It's funny, we can get saved and we start to see what our purpose is. It's like, man, this requires something of me. We can start to feel like maybe we despise doing what God wants us to do or has called us to do because it takes some effort. Your salvation took no effort on your part. I want you to know it was pretty simple. All you had to do was say yes. Working out your salvation is another story. Can you say amen? Okay. So uh, what I want to point out is that the devil has a plan for your life as well. So God has a plan for your life, but the devil has a plan for your life. You know, the devil, he will work against you. He'll look at, uh, um, he'll look at your life and he'll look for those fractures. He'll look for those areas that he can actually get you to be distracted from your purpose. Remember last week I said two things that he uses, inferiority and diversion. He'll make you feel inferior. Well, I could never do that. Well, I could never pray over somebody. I could never share the word of God with somebody. I could never do this, you know, for that person because I just don't feel like I qualify. Who's ever felt that way? Come on. Do you know I step on this platform every week? Not afraid of you, but I step up here with fear and trepidation that I'm just like you. And I'm representing a God that is not like us. He is not like a man that he should lie. He's not like, you get what I'm saying? He's righteous and holy. And we're striving to be righteous and holy. And every week I come in here and I'm going to communicate about a perfect God with the imperfect person that I am. The imperfect gift. You know, in other words, we have to exercise our gifts and practice them to get better at them. And I have to come in here and communicate every week. And, and my hope is, is that God, I hope I'm helping him you know, come closer to you and, and get better at what you've called them to do and, and not getting in the way of that. Come on now. So, so what do I have to do? I have to be dedicated to let God work on me. I have to be dedicated 
to his purpose and not let the devil uh, make me feel inferior or divert me or distract me from what God has called me to do. Amen? Just like challenging you and saying, if you're not serving, you need to be serving. See, the, the man, the human, says, man, don't say that to them. They might leave the church. They actually have to do something. Is that true? Look at, see how quiet you are? See, now I feel inferior. None. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though, to step up here as a pastor and challenge you that, that, look, you don't just come here to receive. You come here so you're a part of the community and you're giving back to it. How are you giving back to it? Um, I don't do that a lot. And part of it's because, you know, well, guys, we're going to work hard and we're going to serve the people. But if the people is a congregation and they've been here for a long time and they're saved, guess what? You have a responsibility to serve as well, isn't that right? And so I need to come in here and I need to challenge all of us because if I don't, then what will happen is, is the next thing, and this will be in your notes, the unlived life. That's where you'll be, going to church and having an unlived life. John 10.10, 10, you see the contrasting devil's plan, God's plan. Watch. The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you life in all its, what? Fullness. There's that cup of fulfillment. The devil has a plan. God has a plan. I want to live out God's plan. Amen? So there are a few things that try to keep us from drinking from the cup of praise. Now, here's the thing about uh, when you think about the cup of praise. I want you to say, uh, Hallel. <laughs> Hallel. I'm not talking Superman's daddy. Hallel. Praise. Hallelujahs. The word hallelujah comes from that, right? So, Hallel. God wants you to have the Hallel life. What is Hallel? Hallel means to celebrate. He wants you to have a life that's full, one that you celebrate, not one that you loathe, not one that you're hiding from, but one that you celebrate. Amen? So here's, here's a few things that we need to, to watch for that keeps us from that Hallel life. One, we let our past cripple us. We let our past cripple us. Problems, failures, pain, disappointments, we let those things cripple us and keep us from moving where God wants us to move. Psalms 38, 4 and 6 says this, My guilt has over, uh, overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. How often I have sat with people who are under condemnation. They're saved. They know Jesus loves them, but yet they're still saddled with condemnation because they're not perfect. The, I think one of the first revelations we need to get, we are not perfect. Come on now. And if you just go ahead and accept the fact that you're not perfect, then it might make it easier to accept the fact that how bad you need Jesus, and not just one time to save you, but all the time. Come on now. And if you keep him very, very uh, near to you in the sense of, I need Jesus all the time. I don't just need him the one time to save me. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to free me. I need Jesus to, what's the third cup? Come on now. What was that? And then I need Jesus to do what? To give me the ability to praise him. To give me that full fulfillment in my life. Now, what does that mean? Um, yeah, it means basically that you've got to, to learn to confess your sins. It means you've got to learn to ask for help. Don't, don't try and go life alone. If you don't ask for help, then what happens is, is that you end up in that place where you're isolated. Then, then, then what? You know? 
eventually it leads to the place of where you just don't feel a sense of purpose. You're never going to find fulfillment there. You need to know how God thinks about you and embrace that. The second thing we do is we let culture define us. Once again, remember, he's calling us out of the world, you know, and out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we can't let culture define us. Um, basically, what playbook book are you following? It's like, are you following the playbook of the world or are you following the playbook of God? You know, a uh, long time ago, I talked about what was known the, the demonic tutor. Anybody know what the demonic tutor is? It's how the devil whispered, you'll never be, or you, you know, life's never going to be good for you. It's always going to be too tight. And this is going to, and that, and that, and that, and that, and just keep that, 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 that. And you kind of have to learn to, to be able to say, you know, uh, shut up in the name of Jesus. Again, it's not being weird. It's just understanding that your authority, the authority you have, you understand, is in that name that is above every other name. And he's given you power in the name of Jesus to take authority over any situation in your life. Now, again, uh, I've seen people where it's like, if I just say this a thousand times, then it'll happen in my life. Positive confession stuff. Um, and the challenge is, is that when we take the positive confession thing and, and I, you know, this is going to be my life and my life's going to be better, 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 my life's going to be better. Okay. But my life's going to be better in Jesus' name. <laughs> you, you tag it with that one. I, I promise you that that, you know, will bring about results in your life. But this idea that if we just get into positive thinking, our life is going to be better. We might think it's better because we're positive thinking, but, but ultimately, how much better is it if you basically are cutting Jesus out? Oh, my life's better because I confess this a thousand times. No, my life's better because I confess this and I give glory to the one whose name has the power to make my life different. Don't let culture define you. Listen to what Galatians 1.10 says. And I am now trying to win the approval of men. Or am I now trying to approve, uh, win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If, it, if, it, if, it were, were still trying to, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think I should have done a larger font on that. <laughs> I might read it on the screen next time. Uh, so I would still not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what, what it comes down to, if we're trying to please people, what happens is, is that we can't be wholeheartedly given to God. But if I'm wholeheartedly given to God, and then I realize that God has called me to serve people, then both get accomplished that way. But if I'm just focused on pleasing people, what happens is, is I may not end up pleasing God with my life because I'm living in the fear of man. Does that make sense? And we shouldn't live our life that way. Why? Because that lets culture define us. Look, let me give you an example this way. Um, I think we all know how, how um, loud the LGBT mo movement is right now. And, and, I, and I'll tell you this, um, there should be as much grace for, for people who struggle with those things in their life as there is for anybody else in their struggles. However, when we have to silence ourselves from speaking truth to the fact that their that they're true freedom just the same as anybody else's struggle in life, their true freedom will be found in Christ. And, and if you speak up and you say, that's just not a right lifestyle, right? Culture's going to come down hard. It's coming down hard right now like, like we've never seen before. If, if you differ with that opinion, you know, your, your moral perspective is different than theirs. I mean, it's freedom of speech until you differ with that opinion, and then the next thing you know, boom, it's just like shut you down. 
Now, I don't believe that we should be, ever be mean to anybody that is in a life of sin. Jesus wasn't. My, again, I say this all the time, but one of our favorite scriptures, I think for most believers, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Can anybody tell me what scripture that is? That's probably the greatest response today. That's how well society knows that scripture. That's how well believers know that scripture. Now, um, you know, let's do this one. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. It's 317. I know there's some gateway folks that heard me do this a lot. Most people can quote 316, but they can't quote 317. And what we have to understand is that love that God has for the world can only, can only fully manifest in people's lives. If we understand that condemnation is not something, it's, it's not something we're meant to share. We, we don't share condemnation. We share love and we share truth. Speaking the truth in love, isn't that right? And I want to say that's a, that, that's, a, that's a hard balance to achieve in life. Would you agree with me? But if we can master that, to speak truth in love, what happens is it'll set people free. Because the Spirit of God is here to represent God's calls, and that is love. John 3.16. The Spirit is not here to condemn. The Bible says the Spirit of God has come into the world to do what? To convict mankind of their sins. And so what we understand is, is that we, we share the message and when we share truth in love, what happens is the Spirit moves on that and brings conviction. He's the one that's going to convict the world of sin. We're not going to convict people, but the Spirit will convict them where the truth is spoken in love. And that's why we have to guard how we communicate it. Not let culture define us. Continue to communicate it. And this is why, too. Some of those things I just shared with you, write this down. Just write Romans 1, Romans chapter 1. Go back and read it. And see if you can see that how much it matches up with our society today. And, and the reality in that is, is that what it comes down to is that, that it's saying that people are going to depart from truth, basically. And when they depart from truth, since the spirit is the spirit of truth, it is only truth that will allow conviction to come in a person's life of their sin so that then they can repent. If you never have conviction of your sin, then... You're not even gonna. You're not even gonna consider repentance. Why? Because it's it's not even close to your thoughts. But if truth is spoken, and in that in, in Romans one, this is what it says. Paul says this: I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Somebody say, first cup. That's the first cup. The gospel, the truth, has to be spoken. For people to drink of the cup of salvation. And we who have drank from that cup need to speak truth so that they have an opportunity to drink from that cup. But know when truth is spoken, the Spirit will move on it so they can come to conviction to drink from it. Uh, the third thing, we try to do it all alone. We try to do it all alone. Why? Broken relationships, being used by people, suspicion, distrust. You know, I'm sure... You know, is there, let me do it this way. Has anybody in the room never been hurt by somebody? Raise your hand. <laughs> well, thanks. Kids need to go to children's church. <laughs> the innocence measured right there, right? Um, but you get what I'm saying. They're, kids don't tend to do it alone. They got parents. 
But we start getting far enough in life, most of us have come to some kind of hurt or been disappointed. And what we do is we start to isolate and do things alone because we're not willing to take the chance again. Well, I'm glad God continues to take a chance on us. Amen? We need to be like our God and take a chance on people. So Ecclesiastes 4.8 says it this way. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Could never have enough. Was doing it all alone. And basically, when you say toil there, I'd like to say this. That is a lonely, hard place to be where you're ever working, working, working to try and make life better. And, and yet you've got so much and you still can't see it. And it's because you're all alone. I'm thankful for people in my life who help me see the, the forest, you know, for the trees, if you will. We're in the trees of life and it's hard to see the big picture. It's important to have people around us that can help us see the big picture. So do not do life alone. So the cup of praise. Here's, here's one I'll share. The Jewish people call it the cup of praise. And again, uh, you know, maybe they, they call it the cup of praise. Remember, this is the fourth cup. They drank four cups of wine during the time of Passover. Isn't that right? So it's the cup of celebration. It might have gained that name because after three cups of wine, the fourth cup is just, you know, really, really good. Who knows? <laughs> just messing around. Uh, his promises to us again. Uh, they are yes and amen, and, and he's saying to us that we're his people, and he's our God out of Exodus 6-7. <clears throat> so when we recognize that, uh, we come into this place of, of um, uh, self-reflection that, okay, God calls me to be a part of his people, and he's going to be my God. So where are we at? what keeps us from acknowledging God or praying to God or asking God to work in our life? We look to ourself. Needs. Needs are really the primary drive of, of everything we do. And when we come to understand we have a need for salvation and we can't provide it for ourselves, that's where we become open to what Jesus did for us. Isn't that right? So, so needs drive us, us in life. Would you agree with that? How many of you have ever heard of Maslow's Law of Need? Who's heard of that before? Okay, a few of us. Um, I'm going to share this with you. I'll go through it really quick here. Maslow's Law of Needs. Physical needs first, of course, that's food, right? Um, you know, basic shelter, that kind of thing. Uh, safety needs, when you get into safety needs, shelter falls in there again. But here's the thing about your shelter. Uh, where safety needs are concerned, you're concerned about, you know, security. So not only would I have a house that keeps me out of the elements, which is, is, is a physical need, but it moves to the safety need when I say, I want to lock on that door. Y'all getting me? We all want to know that we're safe from harm's way. The third thing is love needs, the need to be loved and the need to love. The fourth is esteem needs. Um, Angie, you look beautiful today. I love that pink dress on you. You see, uh, compliments, right? Appreciation, those kind of things, the esteem needs that we have. Now, he defined those first four, and they were called the deficiency needs. It, it basically, all this is something we've got to have uh, for ourselves, if you will. And then number five, uh, what was called cognitive needs. Inquiring minds want to know. We want knowledge. We want to understand things. You know, we're, we're inquisitive. We, we investigate things. And that's why, I don't know about you, but like the Discovery Channel comes on and, and there's something on there that, that I'm interested in, I'll watch it all the way through. 
It makes sense to you. You know, how many watch cooking shows? If you're interested in it, you want to know. I don't watch a lot of cooking shows. But let modern marvels or modern military marvels come on, and I'll lock myself right there. And Angie, you know, I'll lock on something like that, and she starts up the stairs. I'm like, where are you going? She goes, I'm going to the bed to watch my own shows. I am not watching that. Fox News. She goes, you just watch the same stuff over and over and over again. I said, you never know when there's going to be an alert. She's like, I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm like, all right. Hmm. Uh, Aesthetic needs. Aesthetic needs. We mow grass. We plant flowers. We decorate our homes. We dress a certain way. Aesthetic needs. Aesthetic things, you know, they're important to us. Uh, To some, anyway. I mean, some people get haircuts. Others don't, you know. But aesthetically, that's what they like. And then finally, uh, or well, not finally, but self-actualization needs, and that is uh, to fill, fulfill our potential, to root for the best team. We want to win. We don't want to lose. We want to win, right? And so, uh, so in that one, what happens is, is the thought is always uh, um, searching for what is going to make us better. Uh, now, Maslow thought that this was actually the pinnacle of all the needs of man. And as they continued to study, they discovered this, that it wasn't. The pinnacle was transcendence needs. I remember doing a camp, and I preached a, a, a series called Transcendence. And what it meant is to go beyond yourself, to live beyond yourself. This is where people start to think about legacy. This is where they start to think about what will people remember about me? What matters more than you? Living outside yourself. And living outside yourself is very important to actually uh, having a life that is fulfilling. Transcendence means living a life beyond myself. You exceed, you exceed normal limits. I call it maximum fulfillment. We're in that cup of fulfillment right now. This is maximum fulfillment when you live for more than just yourself. Maximum fulfillment comes when you're part of a family and making a difference because God is on your side. Uh, I'll do what? You will be my people, part of a family, and I will be your God. God's on your side. So under that, settle for nothing. Write this down. Settle for nothing. Settle for nothing, but seize everything that God intended you to have together. Settle for nothing. Don't be Esau. Be Jacob. Seize it. I'm going to give you a few things here and we'll wrap up and have communion. It begins, first of all, with a, it begins with a calling. Your calling is where it all begins. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God who first saved us and then called us to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea. A gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. We didn't do it for ourselves. God did it for us. And it was before we drank from that first cup that he prepared it for us. And that was our calling. Uh, so this is where you say, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. Write this down. Under that same area. If you lose your why, if you lose your why, you lose your way. If you lose your why in life, your purpose, 
you lose your way. Don't lose your way, saints. Make sure you're plugged into God's purpose for your life. The second thing, it stands on calls. It stands on calls. Acts 20 and 24 says this, but my life is, is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Doing something that makes a difference. This is doing something that makes a difference. Your calls. I mean, I get raising our kids and, and all the other things we do in life, but your calls is helping get people out of hell and into heaven. Take them, turn them from hell and towards heaven. Amen? The third thing, it spreads from me to we. It's not just me, it's we. It spreads from me to we. Ecclesiastes 4.9, I already said this earlier. Two are better than one because they have a, gr- a good return for their labor. Alone, we can accomplish much. Together, we can accomplish almost anything. And when I say together, you understand that together is not together without Jesus. It's together with Jesus. And all I know is he said this. To those who believe, all things are possible. All right. So uh, with, this is with people who want to make a difference. This is with people who want to make a difference. This is why champions and game changers are what builds a dream team. In other words, we, if we're capable of leading, we step and lead. If we're capable of serving, we step and serve. And as a result of that, what happens is a team forms that will accomplish not our dreams, but God's dreams. And when we're accomplishing the dreams of God for mankind, there is no greater fulfillment in life than to be connected, man, to eternal purpose and working in concert with the God who created us. There's nothing like that. I challenge all of us to do it more and more. Here's what we're going to do today. We're actually going to receive communion. And we talked about drinking from these four cups. We're now going to receive communion together to seal this message together the way that Christ told us to do that as often as we gathered together that we do it in remembrance of him. The elements should be to the left of each uh, row. And if you'll pass those down so everybody has one of those. It's the final thought I want to share with you today. I have a little bit of of a surprise in this that I'd never seen before. I was studying a bit and researching and came across this. And I thought, wow, I'd never seen that before. It was pretty powerful. I'm opening my juice up. Don't spill it all over yourself, right? It's quicker, but it isn't necessarily easier. So the final thought I have for you is that you remember it was the time of Passover. They were sharing in Passover, and that's when they drank the four cups. Isn't that right? And so they drank the cup of salvation. And here's kind of, you know, basically what Jesus was doing with his disciples when he sat with them the night of the Passover is, is they were enjoying uh, the four cups together, right? That's what they're going to do. It's time of Passover. So we're going to do this together and receive communion, and then I'm going to share another detail with you. Matthew 26, 26 through 29 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, 
and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. I tell you I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink from, from it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So with us, we know that the body of Christ was broken for every single one of us. And as, as, as that was his sacrifice for, for fulfillment for us through him in salvation, in healing, to give us peace, right? So in, in doing that today, if you, if you lack peace, you need healing in your body, you need God to work in your life, and some, know that Jesus' body was busted up so that yours could be healed. Amen? Let's take that together. And it was his blood. There is no other way that our sins are washed away except for the blood of Jesus Christ. He had pure blood. He had never sinned. And because he had never sinned, when that crimson blood flowed, what it did, it wasn't just going to cover our sin. It was going to wash it away forevermore. Washing it away means there's no trace of it left. Do you see the difference? That's what salvation is meant to work like in our life. And when we acknowledge what Jesus did, it's not just covering you. Then condemnation has no way to grab a hold of you because ultimately, while you may be able to remember it, God has chosen to forget it. And as we take this today, if you have sins that you've committed, let them go today. Let Jesus wash them away. And don't call them to remembrance, but enjoy the cup of salvation that Jesus died to give you. Amen? Now, I said I have one more thing for you. So, so in, in, in this idea of this, this time when Jesus is sitting with his disciples here, when he's sitting with his disciples, what's going on there? Celebrating the Passover. There's actually 14 steps to the Passover. Uh, it's what's known as Seder, which means order. And so there's these 14 steps that are taking place. So you see him, it says that they were sitting and they were eating together, right? So this was the, it, it's called the Last Supper, right? It's not the, the wine and the bread necessarily was the Last Supper. It was the Last Supper that was taking place, and we call it the Last Supper, but, but, but basically that's when they're drinking from the cup. He took the bread and broke the bread, but they were already eating supper, basically, is what was going on. So here they are. What they would do is they would get together, and, and basically they would, uh, sh- they would share the story of Passover, and they would, they would read some of the, the scriptures, um, uh, and what they would do is they would drink the first cup, the cup of salvation. And, and, and then what they would do is they would, they would interact a little bit more, they would there would be more stories, more interaction that's going on, and then uh, they'd come to that place where they would drink the second cup. And then, th- this is how long they hung out for Passover, understand. It wasn't like a church service. They were hanging out all day. And it comes to that point where they have supper. And after supper, because that's what those scriptures say. If you go and read it in different translations, you're going to see, and after supper, he took the cup. You know, he gave them bread, but it was after supper, he took bread and gave them bread, and he gave them the cup. And in this time when that's going on, now what we understand is, is so that now he gives them the cup, and so what they're doing, they're drinking from the third cup at that point. And you realize that they never drank from the fourth cup. This is a Passover meal that he had with his disciples, and they drink three cups, and they don't drink from the fourth cup. The cup of fulfillment, they don't drink. Hmm, let me read this scripture to you. 
Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. As Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until all of this has been accomplished, until all this is fulfilled. Now know that we get to celebrate all four cups in our relationship with Christ while we live in the earth. We can have fulfillment in our purpose in Him while we live here. But the ultimate fulfillment of everything that God did in giving His Son to die on that cross will not be fulfilled until we are with Jesus at the marriage supper. And He lifts the cup and says, Welcome, my bride. Come and enjoy the rest that my Father's prepared for you. Stand to your feet if you would. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to drinking that fourth cup with Jesus in heaven. You? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I thank you for every person in this room today. And I pray your grace and your mercy would overshadow them. God, I pray that, that all that we've studied over the past seven weeks, that God, it, it would stay with us. Father, we keep it in front of us that, Lord, we have purpose. We have, Father, uh, so much more than, Lord, this world has to offer when we focus on you and we follow you. Father, we're in it, we're not of it, but God, we are able to impact it. We're able to make an, uh, an effective, Father, impact on all that is around us because that's why you sent your son in the first place. So God, I pray that as we go out of here today, Father, we go out with a mindset, Father, where we are desiring to live the full life that Jesus, you offered us, the abundant life that you've offered us, understanding that, Lord, that abundant life is going to be found by fulfilling our purpose. And, Lord, uh, having full freedom, Father, and assurance that we don't have to constantly struggle with issues, but we can have freedom from them because, Jesus, you saved us. We love you. We praise your holy and mighty name. And, God, I ask your people that they would be blessed as they go today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen. amen.